You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Janiel. Hey, it's Shan. Hey, it's Shannon. And hey, it's Chelsea. Today, we are going to talk about a case that just surpassed for being 45 years old. It's a shorter case, and we're going to tack on another shorter case after this. And the case that we are diving into is regarding Andrea Jean Coyle, who was last living in Bellwood, PA. I personally haven't heard of this town, so of course, had to look into it. Bellwood is a borough within Blair County, and it's part of the Altoona, Pennsylvania Metropolitan Statistical Area. It doesn't have a large population, and in 2020, it was estimated to only have 2,016 residents. On March 13, 1948, Andrea Jean Coyle was born to John Joseph Gianni Coyle and Jean Marjorie, L- I think it's Luce, Luss. I could be wrong on both, but that's what we're going to say. Now, growing up, Andrea had a sister named Molly. They were uh, not, it didn't seem super close. I've read some interviews that Molly had done, and it just seems like they were a little bit different. Their home life was surrounded by a military upbringing. The family had settled in Bellwood after Johnny had received his degree as a journeyman printer, and he was then recalled by the Army for the Korean War. And he retired from the military after his tour of duty in the Vietnam War. In total, Johnny served 25 years, which is, I think, a really long time. And that was like a total proud thing for the family with that, which is pretty awesome. For sure. Uh, And like I said, in an interview, Molly said that her and her sister were complete opposites. Molly was an extrovert, whereas Andrea was an introvert. I was just curious, do you know the age difference between, between the two girls? I do not. I'm not sure of the age difference. I was wondering if that just factored into their relationship, maybe if they were, you know, several years apart, maybe they, that's why they weren't as close as sisters, maybe. That's very true. No, I'm not sure. I can find out. And if I do, I can update, you know, on our social, if I can find that out. I couldn't really find much other than that about Andrea in her early years. Really, more of her story comes about when she's in her early 20s. In 1971, Molly said that her sister suffered a nervous breakdown. And this led to a hospital stay where they provided electroconvulsive therapy, which just sounds awful. Yeah, horrible. Absolutely. Do you know what led to the nervous breakdown? Um, It doesn't. And all the articles, which aren't many, uh, doesn't state really what led her to that nervous breakdown. Uh, Molly had said in uh, the main interviews that I could find that her sister was just kind of not right, which I mean, back then, not a lot of stuff was diagnosed either mental health wise or uh, special needs wise. So I'm not sure which one or what it could have been. Okay. So this electroconvulsive therapy, if you never heard of it, it's a procedure where small electric currents are passed through the brain which intentionally trigger brief seizures. And it is believed that this procedure could cause changes in the brain chemistry that could quickly reverse symptoms of certain mental health conditions. And this procedure is still used today, but according to the Mayo Clinic, the stigma attached to 
uh, what they uh, shorten it to as ECT was based on early treatments. They were more experimental and would use high doses of electricity without anesthesia. And I would just say the therapy Andrea used wasn't as refined as today's techniques because Molly said her sister was never the same after this hospital stay. Yeah, I can't imagine. That's awful. I can't. I can't even imagine. I did briefly read that like nowadays, if you do use this therapy, it's like kind of like last resort type thing. And they do low currents versus, you know, in the movies, we see those crazy high currents where people are like literally like putting, you know, putting the blocks in the mouth and like almost being like electrocuted. But it's definitely different nowadays. Um, I didn't honestly think that they still practice, but yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I agree. I didn't I didn't yeah, think that was still either. a thing at all either. Her sister apparently didn't know which year. I don't know if it's like the end of one year, the beginning of the next year, but she estimated in 1972 or 1973, Andrea got married, but she never took his last name officially. In an interview for Altoona Mirror in 2008, Molly said that this courtship happened fast. This marriage didn't last very long, though. Molly said that Andrea's husband would work 16 hours days, which is very long days. Uh, I couldn't figure out what he did, but that's a long day. Um, but apparently Molly believed that this, you know, lack of, uh, I guess, human interaction was not good for her. She hinted that Andrea couldn't have been left alone for that many hours, which is curious because why? Like, is it a mental health thing or is it because she's special needs? It's kind of interesting why she would say that. Has she always had the special needs? I'm not sure she has special needs. It hasn't been. Mostly it's associated with her having a mental health problem. But um, like I said, a lot of stuff back then really wasn't diagnosed. And I'm curious if maybe she did have special needs. And then after the uh, therapy she received, it moved to maybe mental health problems or X, Y, and Z. Um, but Molly wasn't her caregiver, but it seemed like she did need somebody to be with her. Okay. In September of 1973, Andrea attempted suicide. Her husband took her to the hospital, and after that, he packed her things and sent her back home to her parents. Which is a shame, because I guess, you know, in marriage, it wasn't in sickness and health. No. Like, stop for him. Nope. I guess once it got hard, he was done. And she was a, a gorgeous woman. If you look at her pictures, um, I posted a couple. I mean, I posted three and all three of them look drastically different. I'm surprised that it is the same person, but they were provided by family. Um, but she was a beautiful uh, woman. Oh, she was gorgeous. Yep. So pretty. So then from the end of 1973 to the fall of 1974, Andrea was hitchhiking all over the country. The family would hear from her like every couple of weeks. She would kind of just check in. Molly said at one point she, you know, came and visited her for a short period then left and then would come back. So she was just kind of all over the place. She would catch rides mostly with truckers and the family never assumed that she had like a plan. Like there was no... She was just going. Then on September 2nd, 1974, she joined the army. And I'm assuming because she came from, you know, a military family. And a lot of people will join the army when they don't know what to do with their lives. It's, um, you know, a career, it's a career path. And sometimes people need that stability. It did not end 
uh, up being that long in the army because she was on a really discharge for medical reasons on February 28th, 1975. Again, it didn't state what those medical reasons actually were. In 1976, Andrea was arrested in Washington, D.C. for a petty crime. I also couldn't figure out what that crime was. Um, and I found it interesting. She wasn't arrested and put in jail, but she was committed to a hospital from August to October 1976. I also just find it very interesting that she was in the army. Like if her sister was afraid to leave her alone for 16 hours a day, like how... Was she in the army as well? I'm not sure. I don't know if it's because... You know what I... Yeah, I'm just saying I find it interesting. Like, yeah, that seems to be not in line. I'm not sure if they were just taking anyone in the army at, at that time. I'm not sure. I know nowadays they're pretty, you know, picky on who they bring in. Even like a slight medical issue, they'll reject you. Yep. Even I, I know a friend that was trying to get into the Air Force and it was like, they were really picky. So I'm not, I'm not sure you would think that if she does have a mental health problem or any type of special needs, they wouldn't have let her in. Yeah. She wasn't diagnosed, though. They might not have had any cause to keep her out. But you're right. T today, it's like you, you sneeze and you need a, you know, you need a waiver. Yeah. So leave it. Exactly. So after her hospital stay, she ended up going to live with her grandparents, Matthew and Eleanor Luce who also lived in Bellwood, PA. And that is where she served the remaining probation from her petty crime. And the probation went until the end of 1978. During this probation time, she was voluntarily being treated by the psychiatric ward of Altoona Hospital. Molly said that anyone could tell that her sister wasn't normal, which is kind of like a harsh thing to say, I think. Yeah. She did mention, though, if Andrea took her medication, she was okay. What kind of medication did she take? It didn't specify. Okay. Wondering, I'm wondering if this is like maybe like a, you know, a paranoid schizophrenia type situation. If it was treatable by medication, something like that. Well, Janelle um, sent me a podcast to listen to that she thought maybe was connected to this. And it was based on a Jane Doe in South Carolina that uh, they assume was a schizophrenic um, and that was actually a cold case until May of this year, but she ended up in a a mental health institution and uh, was really struggling with, I guess, who she was. And uh, she ended up passing away shortly after being there. And I guess um, it was thought that maybe that Jane Doe was Andrea. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure. They never really gave a lot of indication on what she could be struggling with though i always think with like medication people think that they're doing so well because the medication's working then they stop and it's like a complete vicious cycle yeah right it's just i think different too in like the 70s versus now the attitude of like you can't see everyone's mental health issues or perhaps disability things aren't visual so it's super interesting that the sister said everybody would know Yep. She wasn't normal, yeah. right? but she's okay when she's on her medication. It just seems a little contradictory, but things were different then than what we know now. I will say that the podcast that I listened to that Janelle had suggested, Janelle, remind me, what was that? Fall Line? First Line? What was that podcast name? 
the episode they did was on this Jane Doe and they were interviewing a lot of people that worked in a mental health institution in South Carolina. And it's very interesting. It really is eye-opening to how the mental health was at that time. And they did say, I mean, it's not 100% specific to this case, but they did say every incoming, um, I guess, patient would get the same dosage of two different medications. Like I think one was like Haldol, if I'm saying that right, without even looking into what they needed, X, Y, and Z. So it makes me think that maybe she was okay on these medications because they zoned her out, if that makes sense. Because I know people that are on medications that are like zombies. Yeah. Which is kind of sad. And uh, that podcast is actually called The Fault Line. I just looked it up. It's uh, season eight, episode one and two. They're on uh, Jane Doe's. And it's a very well done podcast if you're interested in learning more about the mental health uh, situation at this like specific timeline that we're talking about. During this probation time frame that Andrea was in, she couldn't find a job in Altoona. So she started attending the Woodrow Wilson Adult Learning School. On December 19th, 1978, Andrea told her grandparents she was running to the school to turn in her books and collect her grades. She did make it to the school and was there until approximately just before noon. She was never seen or heard from again after that moment. And her grandparents said that she left with all her cash, but had forgotten her ID. So that felt like it could kind of go either way, you know, like she took all of her money, but what for if she was just getting grades and dropping off books, but... And again, leaving without your ID, you're not going to get very far or get very much assistance without it. Exactly. So Molly did an interview on the 30th anniversary of the disappearance of her sister, Andrea Jean Coyle. They were kind of hoping that bringing attention to the case would dredge up some clues on the decades old case. The family has desperately wanted closure. In 2008, Trooper Richard J. Brozenich was the officer on the case. In the same article, he said that in the 30 years since her disappearance, there haven't been any leads whatsoever, like substantial leads. And Molly believes that Andrea has passed, but she still wants the closure. Now, I'm going to say that this article that I found, it's referenced in um, a couple websites like the Charlie Project, Donut Work. Um, but for the life of me, I cannot find it. Um, it's been pulled. I don't know why. I can. Um, I have linked the other websites that cite this um, verbatim, this, uh, I guess, interview, and it gives you like the date and the person. I just want to make that like pretty clear, pretty frustrated that I couldn't find it. Um, even on the actual website um, from Altoona Mirror, it's completely off of there. So also during this interview, Molly said that her mother, Jean, will submit a swab test to the FBI. So her DNA is on file for identification purposes. I'm not sure when this happened because... Uh, since this interview, um, Molly and Andrea's mother has passed. The National Crime Information Center also has Andrea's dental records. The cops keep this file open because today Andrea would be 75. The officer Brozenich said that they would close the case when the possibility of her being alive is pretty slim, almost zero, basically. Said that she would have to be in her high 90s or 100s before they would completely close it. Molly said she promised her parents that when she starts planning her own death, she will have Andrea declared dead and get her a headstone. Their father, Johnny, died March 16th, 2014, and the obituary listed that he was preceded in death by Andrea. And that's the same thing for their mom, Jean. She died January 14th, 2016. 
after a battle with cancer. So I did find that at some point Andrea's family moved to Texas. I'm not sure if it was after her disappearance, but they made like they're a really big part of the community. Um, that's where their services were held. And I believe that's where they were buried. And Molly was also living there. That's her location when she gave that interview in 2008. Currently, Crime Stoppers has a $5,000 reward for any tips leading to the discovery of Andrea. Andrea Jean Coyle at the time of her disappearance was a 30-year-old Caucasian female. She has brown hair, brown eyes with pierced ears. She is five foot four inches and weighed approximately 130 pounds. She was last seen wearing a plaid Woolrich jacket, blue jeans, a tan knit cap, and brown shoes. Her nickname is Andy, and her married name was Dury, but like I said before, she never really used it. If you have any information, please reach out to Pennsylvania State Police at 814-696-6100, or you can contact the Pennsylvania Crime Stoppers toll-free number at 1-800-4-PA-TIPS. And to remind you all callers to PA Crime Stoppers, remain anonymous. That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by Chelsea Brown. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. The music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.